Hello and good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Permanente Docs chat. Thanks so much for joining wherever you may be watching or listening. Uh, my name is Alex McDonald. I'm your host. I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. And today I'm actually looking, I look forward to all of our chats, but this chat in particular, uh, we'll be discussing the convergence of two of my favorite topics, uh, social media and pediatrics. Um, Our guest today is Dr. Asha Patton-Smith, who is a child and adolescent psychiatrist at the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. So Dr. Patton-Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you again. Likewise, uh, it's true. You're a, re- a repeat guest here, so thanks for thanks for coming back. I tell people if you join us once on the podcast, you're brave. If you join us twice, you're very brave. So <laughs> thanks for coming back. Uh, if, if, if you're listening live or you're uh, you're tuning in on the webinar here, please make sure you drop your questions in the Q and A. Uh, we'll get to as many as we can, but we only have about twenty minutes for these chats. So get your questions in early, and we'll try to get to as many as we can. So again, let's just jump right in. So so. Dr. Patton-Smith, in your own words, tell us who you are and what you do. So I am a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. I'm here in Mid-Atlantic. Currently, I'm in my office here in Falls Church, Virginia, and I've been with MAPMG since 2006. Great. Sounds good. And you wear a couple different hats there at at, uh, at, at MAPMG. I like that. I haven't heard that before. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. It doesn't just roll off the tongue the same, right? I I like that. I'm going to start using that. MAPMG. Got to write that down. I I Um, do a few few things. So um, I'm Regional Medical Director of Inpatient Psychiatry, Assistant Chief of Psychiatry for NOVA. And I do a lot of media uh, throughout talking about children, adolescents, and parents. Uh, some of your favorite topics and some of mine as well. Absolutely. Yep. Um, well, uh, let's again, let's jump into the topic here at hand. So so in May, the US, U.S. Surgeon General issued a new advisory regarding the the health effects of social media and, and youth mental health. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on this? And and do you think this this new advisory is really going to make a difference in terms of the, the work that you do and that I do and that all of our parents do? You know, social media in general and screen time in general is always a hot topic. And what this advisory at least brought for some of my patients and families is, hey, this is something we really need to seriously consider. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in appointments, I say, hey, what's happening with your social media time? How are you doing with your screen time? And, you know, parents don't want to rock the boat. Kids are locked in to do sometimes what they want to do. This has kind of helped increase the intensity of this is something that we need to talk about. Yeah. I remember when I was in medical school, um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really much discussion that, you know, you talked about, you know, screening for bullying at school and yeah. substance use and those types of things. But really in the last several years, again, as many of you know, I, I practice, I, I take care of, uh, uh, general pediatrics as well as part of my practice in family medicine. And I've started integrating the question of, you know, do you have social media? Do you use social media? What apps are you using? You know, are you, are you uh, experiencing online bullying? Um, You know, how often are you using it? All these questions. And it opens almost a a Pandora's box, if you will, of different issues, which may come up with our individual uh, patients. Yes, it can. And so one of the things that we need to look at is the amount of time kids are using social media, the content, what are they looking at as you're talking about? And then what is it removing them from? Mm -hmm. Are they having issue with getting to sleep because they're on social media late at night? 
Are they not having any physical activity because they're constantly on their phones or on their computers or on their iPads? Are they not eating as well because they're always doing social media stuff and there's some things and content that is preventing them from feeling like they can? So those are kind of the three major things that I talk to my kids about. So not just, hey, you can't use it or what are you using, but how much are you using? What are you looking at, as you said? And what is this removing you from? Do you ever go outside? Do you ever socialize in person with people your age? I mean, these are all things that you wouldn't think you had to ask. And yes, in my training in medical school and in residency and fellowship, we didn't, but this is where we are now. And it's just really important to check in. Yeah, it makes me makes me think about a, a time I was at a we were at a big a big family gathering um, pre pre COVID, uh, and I walk into one of the rooms and all the all, all, many of the teens and, and tweens were in in this room just sitting on their phones, and I was like, guys, what are you doing? Like, let's go! Come on, you're supposed to be at a party, and they're like, well, we're we're talking to each other. Like, they were all just texting each other in the same room, and I was like, well, that's certainly an odd way to communicate. So, so it's a very different. Right? Sorry, what? It's so interesting. Right. It's a very different sort of uh, culture that our, our children are growing up with in, with social media. And so how is that going to affect them both both in the here and the now, but also the long term as well? Um, and I know there have been several studies looking at sort of the the impact on uh, development and, and mental health regarding social media in this in this sort of tween and, and teen population. Um, what do you what do you make of some of these studies and what do you make of some of this research, which seems to be a little bit mixed at this point? You, you summarize that well. It is mixed, right? And so, you know, in especially behavioral health psychiatry, we live in that gray area. So we have a lot of mixed results, right? And part of it is because social media and social media use, it's hard to really just have it and look at it on its own. There are always other environmental factors that impact things. What I tell parents and kids, especially my teenagers, is Okay, I can't give you a study that definitively says social media is horrible, right. but I can't give you a study that definitively says social media is the best thing ever. And right. so because of that, we need to look at, as we talked about, your use, your content, and what it's taking you away from, because these are the things that we can measure. And it's mm -hmm. just important to keep that in mind. Yeah. So we know that there has been an alarming rise in uh, teen and, and uh, young adult mental health concerns just in general in this nation. I think uh, the CDC put out a, a report earlier this year, which has staggering numbers regarding, you know, almost a third of teens have, have contemplated suicide in the past year or some staggering numbers. Do you think that social media plays a role here? Um, and if if it does, how do you think it may, is a very challenging question, obviously, how do you think it may impact some of these other greater mental health concerns that we're seeing? So we can't say it doesn't play a role. So when we can't say definitively it doesn't, we really have to look at the fact that there has to be some relationship with social media, excessive social media use and these things. And what we look at when we look at especially certain content is those reinforcing spirals where you continue to find more and more content and you go deeper and deeper through the rabbit hole, right? And then the upward social comparison. So that fear of missing out. Everyone's doing something better than me. Yep. Everyone looks better than me. And when we're looking at, especially adolescence, which is just a pivotal developmental stage, those types of kind of sticky social media situations in a, in a, in a population that is growing and developing can cause challenges with um, overall challenges with depression, with anxiety, with self-esteem, yeah. with focus and concentration. 
So there is a correlation, even if it's not direct with some of these issues. The other thing is that for some kids, they're trying to get on social media to fit in. But when content kind of changes and you're Googling depression because you're concerned about feeling depressed or you're on TikTok, and then it talks about other things that become more concerning, like suicide and how to you know, plan suicide without anyone knowing. That's the type of thing when we talk about those reinforcing spirals that can sometimes get kids in a lot of trouble and they don't have the capacity to really deal with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know even even adults can kind of get stuck in that in that loop as well. And and the social media work is curated to raise our interest. And we if we search for one thing or we spend it, it, it's kind of mind boggling how much information uh, these companies have. They know how long we look at different types of posts or pictures, what types of posts, and then it can start feeding you more information similar to that to kind of keep you on the platform longer. So it's really I mean sounds like there's a lot of similarities with addiction, quite frankly. Um, do we Absolutely. know Do we know anything about social media and addiction? And every time somebody likes your post, you get a little blip of dopamine in your brain. Like, do we know anything about sort of the, the neurochemical uh, biology of social media use? So social media can be addictive. And as you said, it's designed to be that way. Video games are the same way. I mean, what video gamer would just play at one time and then go to something else? They're designed to right. keep playing, to keep looking, to keep watching. And when things are going well, you get this rush, like, oh, there's another like, or, you know, I went viral, right? These are exciting things. So you have this burst of dopamine. However, especially for my kids that are gaming or excessively using so social media, those chemicals glom on to the receptors, right? The neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. But there's a finite amount of neurotransmitters. So after a while, they're oversaturated. So right. then what happens? If you don't take a rest from gaming or social media, you get agitated, you get irritable, you become more uh, sad and depressed. And that's part of the amount of use, right? We have to take these things in short bursts and use them appropriately. Well, then, that, that, that's, I think that dovetails perfectly in, into the next question here about what, what should physicians advise parents and teens about their social media use. I mean, you just said it's not an all or nothing type of thing. And if you say, yeah. no, you can't use it at all, that's likely to backlash. So what what do you what do you typically advise your 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 parents and your teens? So American Academy of Pediatrics in the adolescent population, three hours of left in 20 minute burst. Anyone mm -hmm. under two years old, no social media, which seems to be something that what makes sense, but I see two-year-olds that are looking at screens all the mm -hmm. time when I'm interviewing other patients. And I'm like, mom, why don't we do something else other than have them look at a screen two to five, one hour or less. And what I tell um, my parents is let's have an open conversation. If you tell, especially a teenager, no, they completely shut down, right? right? So have a conversation about what the risks are show them information about what the risks are, and then try to come to some happy medium on how we can slowly decrease use and really improve overall, just foundationally sleep, appetite, and focus and concentration. Yeah. One great advice that I've heard recently, I've started telling my patients is, is use social media together with your child or with your, with your teen. So they can kind of learn how to do it. You're looking at pictures together on Instagram, or, you know, you're playing my, my 13 year old, I like playing Wordle together, actually. So we'll play Wordle on this app to get to together. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, there's some social interaction and you're also demonstrating, you know, good, good, 
sort of behavior, if you will, you play it for 20 minutes or, or however long, and then you, and then you put it down. Um, and so you're sort of leading by example, but you're, you're doing it with them. So it's also a social mm-hmm. interaction. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on that recommendation? I think that's an excellent recommendation to that same point. However, parents, you can show them more than you can tell them. So mm-hmm. you have to make sure as a parent or caregiver that you're being the correct model in using social media as far as the time you're using it, when you're using it, and when, if you're using it appropriately. So it goes both ways, right? You can tell your kid, hey, you know, don't be on social media or, you know, we need to limit time. If you're always on it as a parent or always on your phone and not present, it becomes this mixed message that gets very confusing for kids. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, for those of you who've heard me speak before on, on social media, I always like using the term um, SMUD. I'm self-diagnosed, but I have social media use disorder. Uh, and I definitely sometimes need to put it down and, and learn to step away. And so I, I, I'm working on it. It's a process. Uh, there's some support groups for this, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure there are. Yeah. So we have a question here in the chat. Um, are there, um, there's so many different social media platforms. Are there some, which, excuse me, are there some platforms which are a little bit more concerning than others? You know, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, obviously. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, and I can't really answer that question. The, the reason why is because there's so many social media platforms that my kids, my kids or my patients are telling me that I don't even know. So, you know, I can say one or the other, but they're all very, what we call sticky. They have these algorithms that keep coming up on and on and on. So I'm sure there are some that are more concerning as far as the content that comes about as you're continuing to use it. But since they're all designed very similarly, and I don't know all of them, um, I think it's just fair to say that in general, it really needs to be monitored, especially in children and adolescents. Yeah. I, you know, they seem to be growing and, and, and propagating so quickly. It's hard to keep up. And, yes, you know, it's hard kids to always tend to be ahead of us. I heard a new term yesterday uh, for, for when people are using Snapchat, I call it snapping. Uh, I've, I had never heard that term before. One of my, one of my patients used that term. They're like, oh yeah, I snap pretty regularly. I'm like, wait, what you, you like snap what, your you fingers? Snap right. <laughs> so sometimes learning the terminology helps us better communicate with our patients also. Um, oh, 100%. One thing, I, I always try to watch some of the latest cartoons also. So I know kind of what the, what the popular cartoons are sometimes so I can interact with my, my pediatric patients a little bit better or know like what their t-shirt says. Uh, I, I think social media probably is pretty similar. Unfortunately, at the same time, we have to, to stay up with the lingo. Yeah. And kids love to teach, right? So just like you do with your patients. I mean, I tell my parents all the time, ask them what, you know, what the latest is. You know, they love to tell, they love to instruct, they love to be able to give that information. And we can find out a lot of information from, you know, our the, our kids, uh, as well as our parents. Yeah. So uh, another another issue which sometimes comes up, and we, we kind of touched on this a bit before, but I want to go back to it, you know, um, we live in this sort of society of instant gratification. You know, you order something on Amazon, it shows up on your door, doorstep, you know, a few hours or a day later. Um, and, and social media seems to be the same similar way where it kind of creates this sense of instant gratification, uh, addiction, uh, creating silos and sort of ampli- amplification and reinforcement of your worldview and sort of narrowing that world view a little bit as well, uh, particularly for, for teens in the developing brain. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? How can we combat some of that, uh, some of those concerns regarding uh, just how how social media seems to just impact us uh, as a cultural phenomenon um, in terms of different uh, different aspects or thoughts or, or 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 views within society? 
think it's important to have, and you said that beautifully, I think it's important to have a very open conversation ongoing with, uh, with your patients and your families that you're working with, because you're exactly right. Those reinforcing spirals just keep going. And like you said, it just gets smaller and smaller. And so, you know, when I talk to my kids, I, you know, they tell me about, and they usually have very strong opinions, which is very appropriate developmentally in adolescence, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is wrong, or, you know, I'm being triggered by this. These are the things that they say. And just having some very open-ended conversations about, well, what about this perspective? Or what do you think about this? And just kind of getting a sense of how they think and slowly kind of widening that, that very narrow kind of view in some situations is helpful. It's not a matter of trying to get adolescents to think differently as far as think differently than what they're currently thinking, because they're completely shut down. Right. But it's a matter of just kind of prompting them to open up their line of thinking or creating other scenarios for them to think about differently, which takes time. It's not a one conversation or a one question type of situation. Yeah. And I imagine g getting them off their phones and into the real world and having a diversity of real world experiences potentially could help help shape that 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 view as well. That's the key, really. Yeah. Um, and how to do that varies, but it definitely is something that needs to be done. I mean, I encourage families to just, as you talked about, you know, using social media together, just go outside and walk together mm -hmm. or, you know, do a puzzle together or something together that's not related to any type of electronic. It can make a world of difference. And the earlier you start, the earlier it, it just makes it easier, the earlier the changes can be made. So, you know. Parents have to provide limits and structure. We can't always be friends with our kids. So sometimes it gets to a point where in the negotiation phase of this process with social media, it becomes so much where you're not getting anywhere. There sometimes has to be a time where parents say, you know, okay, this particular area is a, you know, no phone zone. Mm -hmm. And so if you come in here, you know, it'd be the dinner time or the dinner table or the living room. No, no phones, no social media, nothing. And just kind of start the process of weaning away slowly, both for the parents and the kids. Yeah, that's actually a, a perfect point. That was actually a, a kind of, I was thinking about that as you were mentioning that, you know, not only does social media boundaries, but just technology boundaries in general, we have no, no phones in their rooms and no phones at the dinner table. That's at our house. That's sort of what the rule is and what seemed to work well. Um, and, you know, there's obviously not a one size fits all. You have to figure out kind of what works for you, but having clear limits in terms of where you can use your phone. And then also you can set a timer. So the phone, you know, locks out at 8 PM and they can't use it after yeah. that, which is something we do in our household as well. Excellent. And, and the, the other part to that is, as you talked about kind of addiction and we talked about dopamine, when you start that process, it could increase escalation of behaviors, anger, frustration, mm -hmm. arguments, threats. That is just part of the process of pulling away that, that surge um, in a way that a lot of times, you know, teens especially won't like. That's yep. okay. It will get better. Yep. And that actually dovetails perfectly into our next chat question in the chat. It's like you were reading ahead or something. Um, <laughs> so do you, do you have any suggestions regarding handling teens and kids and sort of the pushback when they feel left out about in social situations, when they're not on social media, they're not texting their friends constantly, or they have those, those downtimes, uh, uh periods within, within the day? I wish I had the magic wand, but this is what I do recommend. And most of the time, over time, it works if the parent is consistent 
One, right. have these open-ended conversations, right? Have the kids understand why and get some sort of buy-in. If they're using, I'm exaggerating, but some kids are five hours a day, let's take it down to four and then build from there, right? Um, the the old parenting was suck it up, buttercup. You can't, you know, you can't work with everyone. You're not going to know everything. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work very well with our teens now. There has to be some sort of buy-in. And that is typically talking about, okay, these are some things that you're concerned about. A lot of my kids have trouble sleeping mm-hmm. and they want, you know, something for sleep, or they say, I can't focus. These are some things that you can do to help that situation. And then we can kind of build from there. And what a lot of times when they start seeing results, like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess that might, I am thinking clearer, or I did get to sleep a little bit later. It's part of them separating from that need to always be involved or always mm-hmm. know what's going on. It also trains that that we don't always have to have that instant gratification, right? So we're increasing our frustration tolerance, which is something that we need to do as we move through adolescence in general. So they're not any 100%, but that's part of the process. But getting the buy-in is key. Right. No, that's great. Great advice right there. Just sounds like just in general for any teens in our lives and not just regarding phones and social media. Um, well, this has been such a fantastic discussion. We could go on and on all day, I'm sure, but we do want, want to keep this pretty high yield and short. So last question here, tell us what makes you most proud to be a permanent day physician? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest part to me is being able to have a wide variety of patients from all walks of life and be able to integrate with pretty much every specialty known to man with just the touch of a button, a core text or an email, or even knocking on the door and saying, hey, I have this challenging case. So it's the relationships with the other Permanente doctors in addition to my patients and families that is why I'm here and why I've been here for 17 years. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Patton-Smith, for joining us again, again, joining us today and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. You as well. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.